Hey, it's Jose Galison. You're watching No Way Jose. You can find me on No Way Jose YouTube channel, all the major auto podcasters and Odyssey as well. We got a big one for you guys today. This will be dropping publicly tomorrow on the anniversary of the Oklahoma City bombing. So we have something big for you today. I'll have Ken co-host, Ken Silva co-hosting with me, a uh, great journalist. Uh, and uh, I think I'll, maybe I'll, I'll suspend a little bit, uh, maybe a little bit of surprise. I'll, I'll wait to announce who we have. But I do want to let you guys know uh, how this works. I am giving my patrons like a day earlier. Usually I go a week earlier, but for this one, I want this to be like a surprise. Okay, kind of hit everybody all at once because uh, – kind of a big deal but uh if you do want to look at the area of the content patreon.com no way jose 2020 lowest levels two bucks high levels 2020 is my sponsors i read them off every episode i'm mikhail thorpe of the expat money show with jeremy who has an Etsy store at etsy.com so shop such raising liberty follow him on twitter at jeremy rhymes and also toad who's my co-host on tower gang uh which is an offensive comedy podcast so if you don't like offensive comedy don't watch it uh but you can follow my buddy toad at tower gang toad you can also find him on the tower gang show uh, then I also have Zach Overacker at Z-O-V-E-R-A-C-K on Twitter if you can follow him. And, and then also Mike Degelish. Uh, do remind you guys, I have those Terrence Hickey didn't kill himself shirts uh, at toplobster.com. Highly suggest going to check that out. Obviously, if you agree with that sentiment, it'd be weird if you got it and you didn't. Uh, but let's uh, enough of that. Let's go ahead and start getting into it. Ken, pleasure to have you here. Uh, I, I'm, you know, I'm gonna let you have the honors. I want you to announce who our guest today is and his significance, and then we'll, we'll bring him on. Well, I hope I'm not butchering his last name, but our guest is Steve Vassar, who was one of the first responders to the Oklahoma City bombing, who not only saw John Doe too, McVeigh's accomplice, he also saw apparently he'll he'll tell us the story, but uh, it's my understanding that he saw federal agents. Who are already on the crime scene uh, when, when he arrives. So I, uh, this is a very important show. Thank you very much for having me on, and I, I can't wait to hear Steve's story. Oh yeah, I'm uh, looking forward to it. Let's get Steve in here. Hey Steve, how are you? Hello, pretty good. Hey. Thank you for having me on. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I meant to ask you before we started, but maybe I don't know if you have him on hand or if you want to grab him later. But I know we had talked prior about you had said like something to kind of show to people to verify who you are. Uh, I don't know if you kept that on hand. 
Uh, cause I do want, I know a lot of researchers. That's going to be the first question. Like, how oh do yeah. You know this guy's legit. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I mean, you know, like I had said before, my house had burned down in 2006. So a lot of my photos and stuff, of uh, the military and the police department had gone away, but, um, let's see if I can get this oh, to they focus for a second. There you go. Retired officer Steve Vassar. I'm, I mean, I'm sure if you zoom in, that probably says OKCPD or something. I can't see that small or OCPD. Yeah, that's the well. Yeah, I won't do it. That's the city <laughs> seal right, right here. That's the city of Oklahoma City seal right there. So. All right. Well, awesome. Anyway. Uh, like I said, I want to do this as a sort of a memorial, so I think it's only appropriate to kind of start with the day of uh, your tale of the day. Uh, we'll try not to go off on any little tangents and we'll try to come re-attack them later. But to kind of give, uh, I know a lot of my audience follows a lot and knows a lot of this stuff, but uh, don't, I mean, feel free to go as detailed as you want because I know there might be some new listeners and might be able to glean some new understanding of what exactly happened that day, specifically from, you know, someone on the ground like yourself. I think uh, okay. it'd be helpful for people's understanding. Right. Um, on that day, like I had only been on the department probably for about five years. I came on uh, March 16th, 1990 um, and uh, been on the department for about five years. Uh, we got called out straight from the um, uh, from the briefing room from when we do our briefings in the morning and stuff from lineup uh, straight to a stabbing scene that was just a few blocks away uh, off of Fifth Street. Um, as we were wrapping up uh, that particular uh, incident there. I was about to cross the street to go get in my car. Um, as I about to cross the street, I look left and right, look, took to my right, and I see this uh, big truck coming. Um, didn't think anything about it. It didn't seem like, you know, it was suspicious or anything. I didn't have, it, was, it, was, it didn't pertain to our case or anything. Um, so I just stayed there on the curb, um, watched them drive by. I saw the driver uh, I saw a passenger, but because it was inside the cab, uh, couldn't really make out a face or anything, but dark hair. And, and that was really all I could about see. Didn't think anything about it. Uh, went about my way, went to my car, uh, got in my car, drove right in front of the uh, Murrah building on my way to a convenience store up at 13th and North Broadway Avenue. Uh, I get up there at 13th and Broadway, I walk inside, go to the cooler, which is opposite of the front door. Um, I go inside and I get a, a drink out of the cooler. I turn around and there's the explosion. Um, and it is like slow motion. You could literally see the shockwave hit the buildings as it's coming. And windows were just blowing out of everything, cars, buildings. Uh, there was a guy that walked into the door just as the shockwave hit. And so when he opened the door, it depressurized the inside of the room. It just cracked a few of the windows, but it didn't blow them out. It knocked him down and it knocked me back about three feet. Um, immediately get in our car. Uh, my uh, other uh, police officer, uh, co-worker, um, I don't know if I should name him or not. Um, but anyway, uh, I had mentioned to you his name. Um, we both get in our cars and we get there in front of the YMCA building uh, on Fifth Street uh, about 53 seconds after it happened. Um, lots of smoke, lots of you, you couldn't see anything, couldn't hardly see the building at all because of the smoke. But you could hear a lot of cracking, 
um, a lot of things still falling out of the air. You had to kind of watch yourself uh, because there were still, you know, chunks of stuff coming out of the air. Um, that mushroom cloud went up way high, way, way high. Um, as we're uh, helping the uh, all of the children and the uh, uh, citizens that were coming out of the YMCA, directed a bunch of them over to the east side of the YMCA so that we could set up a triage. For the most part, that's where I spent uh, a lot of my time um, until a little bit later that day when uh, it seemed like the coast was clear a little bit. Uh, and then uh, we started going up closer to the building. As we get closer to the building, see a really huge crater. Um, now, mind you, right before this happened, there was a whole lot of what sounded like explosions and gunshots going off. Now, you know, we didn't know what was going on because you couldn't see anything. Um, come to find out, it was gas tanks and tires from cars and trucks, you know, blow, um, blowing up. Um, but anyway, we get back to uh, going over to the scene. Uh, I find parts of vehicles in the middle of the street. Um, and when I see that crater, I know right then it was not a, ga a gas explosion. It just, just, uh, I've never seen anything like that in my life. Uh, so immediately start spray painting circles around all these parts. Um, I didn't have my camera with me on that day. I don't believe I did bring it the very next day and I started taking pictures. Uh, I have some of those pictures uh, stored away somewhere. I've got to find them. I tried to find them yesterday and I couldn't find them. My, my ex-wife may actually have them. Um, I did find just a couple of pictures from that day, but I can't find my photo album. I'm not sure what happened to it. Um, but anyway, uh, we, uh, I'm part, I was part of the, what's called the emergency response team, which we deal with uh, natural disasters like the May 3rd tornado uh, that happened in Moore, um, and we deal with a lot of civil disobediences and stuff like that. So, as uh, soon as I get there on scene and I see what's going on, I immediately call for all backup, uh, for all emergency personnel, even call for the emergency response team that this would be a mass casualty event. Um, and then we, we go from there. There seem to be a lot of suits they're uh, really fast. Now, you know, mind you, the FBI headquarters is up off of Memorial Roads, or I don't know where they were at that particular time. Now they're up off of Memorial Road. Um, but it just, seemed, it just seemed a bit odd that there was, I mean, that many first responders or even, you know, government agents uh, there that fast. I mean, I didn't think of any, I didn't think about it at that time. And so all this is in, in you know, looking back at it, um, it was a little bit later that was like, yeah, you know, when people were talking, it was like, yeah, there seemed to, you know, seemed to get here pretty quick and, uh, but didn't think anything about it. I mean, it's, you know, there, there was no reason for me to think otherwise at that time. Um, so we, I end up being there for about two weeks. Um, as part of the emergency response team, uh, setting up the perimeter. Um, and as they're, um, 
taking bodies out, uh, escorting the bodies over to the makeshift morgue that they had, the temporary morgue, um, and had to do some morgue duty over there as well. Um, all of these, um, every single day that we were there, we had to we had to fill out a what's called a supplemental report of everything that we did that day, including the day of the bombing. Um, so I, I did everything like I was supposed to, filled out all my reports, turned them into my supervisor, never heard anything back from anybody about anything. Um, it, it wasn't until I believe later that evening, and, and it was before we, um, before we left, because I remember us being there for about 14 to 16 hours, um, maybe even a little bit longer than that, because it seems like it was dark by the time, uh, by the time we left. Um, that anyway, that we had heard that OHP had stopped a car, um, and that uh, I guess they had already identified uh, some of the parts and stuff as belonging to a rider truck. Um, and then that's when I told my supervisor about it and filled out a supplemental and we did everything, you know, told my supervisor about what I'd seen earlier that day. Um, at the time there wasn't anything that, that I can remember about a John Doe number two. It wasn't until later, but I did report that I had seen a rider truck with two people. In it. Um, but there wasn't anything until later. So anyway, um, we, uh, then we just go about our regular day and, and, you know, doing, doing our security and on-scene security and stuff like, and stuff like that, uh, throughout the, the next two weeks. Um, we didn't, during those two weeks, didn't really hear that I can remember. Don't really, didn't really hear anything about any, uh, theories or anything uh, other than what the news and everything was showing. It was almost like everybody on the apartment, there, there wasn't much talk at all um, other than just focusing on recovery effort. Um, so I, I don't know, you know, all right. what well, you all right. questions for. Yeah. Uh, at this point, you, you got any uh, particular questions? Uh, I could think of a few, but I don't know if there's anything that struck you at this point, Ken. Well, I guess the biggest thing you said, did I hear you correctly? You said you were there within 53 seconds of mm -hmm. the bombing? Yes. Um, on the um, OKC Memorial, uh, bombing memorial inside the show of video, and in that video, you'll see me standing there um, uh, mouthing an obscenity, basically, because <clears throat> um, I was in disbelief. Um, <clears throat> and you'll also hear me on the radio. Uh, as I get there, uh, I'm, uh, like I was telling him, uh, telling uh, Jose that I, I believe my call sign was Adam 12 at the time. Uh, I could be wrong because I was Adam 12 at one time. I've been Adam 22. I've been Adam 12, you know, all these different districts. But uh, the memorial or the or the, the, uh, uh, the Murrah building was in my district. I rode that area. I mean, that was my assigned district. <clears throat> um, I forgot where I was going with that now. <laughs> uh, yeah. But, but anyway, uh, 
Yeah, that, that, that was my area. That was my area. And what was your question again? So I make sure I answered it. Uh, well, yeah, I was just shocked to hear, you know, the explosion okay. happens at 903. You're there at 904 and you say you saw suits already on the scene. Uh, what do you exactly? Um, you well, like the suits, see? the suits weren't there right when I got there. Okay. Okay. It was just, it was like literally as the smoke started clearing that the suits were there. Seemed a little fast for all the different government agencies, all the three letter government agencies to be there so fast. Mm -hmm. um, Any bomb squad? Well, Oklahoma City bomb squad, uh, Oklahoma County bomb squad. Um, and I'm sure there were probably a couple, you know, OSBI, probably a couple of those had already gotten out. Um, then again, you know, I don't know if they have, I don't know if they did have, or they probably have now, you know, something kind of like an emergency call list, you know, people that are on call and stuff. And, you know, they, they, at the call at, during the, you know, they drop whatever they're doing and they go. Uh, I know that's how we had it because that was part of our emergency response team uh, stuff. But, you know, back then there were barely even any cell phones and there surely wasn't any cell phone video. <laughs> um, so we had everything relied off of pagers for the most part. Uh, uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Did you say more to say? Um, it was, uh, oh, on, on that audio, you can hear me say like Adam 12 headquarters, um, I need all emergency personnel, fire, IMSA, anybody you can call, including emergency response team. This is a mass casualty event. You know, you can hear me saying something like that. I, I, I've I only heard myself one time, and that was uh, after the, the memorial opened. Um, and I haven't been back yet to see uh, or to hear that. So I don't even know if it's still playing or not. Yeah, uh, with the 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 suits or whatever that showed up, um, were were one of the big things, and the reason why we're kind of probing on this question is uh, in the letter, uh, you know, that was the, uh, allegedly from uh, Yiki to an individual named Ram Ramona. That is one of the things he points out uh, that flagged him was the the idea that he saw all these suits on the ground almost immediately when he got there. And one thing he pointed out was that he said they were in full riot gear. Now, did you notice them being in any sort of particular gear? I don't know if he meant that as like a colloquialism of some sort, just meaning they were decked out in, in their full attire. I, I don't know if he well, not meant it in a specific riot gear way. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, th there was um, agents there that, you know, they throw their, their big bulletproof vest over, you know, over whatever okay. they're wearing rather than. And so, you know, and some of them may have had some riot gear on, but the emergency response team, when they responded, we respond with all of our gear with us, including the helmets and you know, all that stuff. So I was on the east side of the building. So that, that very first day, I never even could make it to the building to even go inside because I was, I was too overran with you know, everybody from the, the YMCA. Um, so it wasn't until a little bit later when I tried to go into the building that they halted everybody from going in. And that was right about that time uh, where all where all the suits and stuff were already there. But it just seemed like it was too many, but I don't know, maybe, I, I don't know how many of the local FBI office has there. I didn't know, I don't know if there was another ATF office somewhere 
you know, I can only, I just know that it just, everything seemed like it came together too easily mm-hmm. with a lot of the, the response that we got. And maybe it just happened that way. I mm-hmm. don't know. Uh, I, I, I can't say one way or the other. I just know that something didn't quite mesh. Yeah. Um, in looking back at everything, something doesn't quite mesh about it. Um, it was just a, a, a weird, and there, there was just kind of like a weird cloud over everybody, like at the end of the day, when we get, when we would come back from, uh, from our duty and we would, you know, try to do our, our supplemental reports and everything. It was just kind of a weird cloud that it, it, a weird feeling that nobody really wanted to talk about anything for the most part. Um, maybe a few little things, but everybody was so in, in disbelief. When I say everybody, I'm talking about me and like my officers around me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a lot of times, you know, we may not have worked with other agency officers. Sometimes we did. Sometimes we, you know, we had a national guard uh, team member with us. Sometimes we had other agencies from other States, other cities uh, with us, you know, doing our guard duty stuff. But even then, um, at that particular point in time, there did not seem to be anything going around um, theory-wise, yeah. you know, at that point, other than we know we have an exploded vehicle because there's no way this could have happened otherwise. <laughs> um, you know, we've seen all the parts, uh, you know, I marked a lot of the parts um, and nobody ever talked to me. Yeah, Nobody. I, I, one of the big things, uh, with you're tying this back to the EK again, it's kind of like people ask, What did he see? And, and I brought up the riot gear thing and, uh, or the feds being there, but I think the way it sounds in the letter and the way I interpret it is that, like, that's just kind of what piqued his, like, it kind of caught his interest. Like, mm-hmm. that's weird, same like it did for you. I'm sure that maybe that made him look more, or maybe, maybe he actually saw additional things, uh, during his time. Uh, one of the big things his sister said, I believe, it was LaShawn. Uh, in the CNN article, she was quoted as saying that it, there were uh, spots in the building that looked like it had been blown out as opposed to in. Uh, right. So, I mean, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you if there was anything that you saw or heard from other people or anything along those lines. I feel I probably already know the answer to this, but I mean, while we have you there here, I figure probably should ask. <laughs> but did you see anything weird along those lines? I mean, I know we talked yesterday a little bit, kind of did a sound and video check, and you mentioned uh, um, that you know that whole idea of that they did evacuate the area a couple times because that kind of ends up being the yes. cover story or the official story or the actual real story, depending mm-hmm. on your interpretation, is that they were pulling out uh, you know munitions that they were improperly storing there at the ATF right. building. So well I can I can say this that um, so my super my supervisor over the emergency response team at the time uh, I don't know how much he knew, but I do know that there was twice that we were told to basically run. Mm-hmm. Um, it, because there was an uh, there was a bomb scare, and uh, when we all got back, and at the end of the day, I do remember I do remember that day um, that we did talk about that. That um, apparently there was some ammunition up there 
and 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 I'm not talking about like uh, you know bullet ammunition. We're talking, talking about big about shit, the big stuff. Yes, <laughs> yeah. because they because they did say that there were suspicious. Uh, he did say that there were there were sus suspicious items that were found that were explosive and they were really big. He didn't say exactly what they were, but that they were taken care of. Hmm. So, and that, that happened twice that we had, to, that they had to do that. Yeah. Which uh, uh, if you have anything to add, can look like you, you, you piqued your interest or, or no. <laughs> uh, I thought it was odd, but yeah. I mean, I was like, it is the ATF. I mean, you know, a lot of times they'll have something up there, you know, that's evidence that may be inert, you mm. know, I don't know. I've never been in an ATF office, but I mean, I know that that stuff happens. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it happens in the police department and stuff like that. You know, um, but it would not surprise me if they had stuff up there that was not inert, <laughs> that was active, or I, I should say, yeah, uh, yeah. All right, uh, Ken, you got anything? Go ahead. Well, yeah, I know, I know you've talked about it extensively and it was a very traumatic event, but do you have any approximation for a, a time when the feds might have shown up? You know, I'm just thinking the explosion happened. It was, yeah, yeah. no, no, I was just, um, it was that smoke, the, well, let's put it this way, the, the main part of the smoke that you, that you couldn't see everything uh, lasted probably for a, a good 30 minutes. Um, and then as that started clearing, uh, then you could start to see and see the building. You can see all the cars and stuff. There's still cars that are on fire, still smoking and stuff like that. But the main part of it, um, I would say about 30 minutes minimum. Um, and then, yeah, it, that's when people start. It seemed like people started showing up quite a bit. There may have already been a lot of people on the west side. I wasn't mm -hmm. on the west side and I wasn't on the back side, the south side of the building. So, you know, it's very possible because the south side of the building is like a little park area, a big landing uh, park. Um, and so it's very possible that, that, that that's where they, they, um, they pulled up at. And, you know, so Terry may have seen that because the south side of the building, even though the front side was completely collapsed, you know, the south side of the building, there was stuff that was blown out as well. Mm -hmm. uh, but it was pretty much intact. So all on that landing park area, I know there were several times that, that we actually met there as an ERT team um, and discussed, you know, where everybody was supposed to be going for that day. So it, it is a good possibility. I mean, I mean, maybe that's where they, maybe that's where they are, that maybe that's where they were. And maybe that's where what Terry had seen, okay. but I know on my end, you know, it wasn't until probably a little bit later, you know, after 30 minutes or so, because uh, by then most of the people from the YMCA was already out. We had already went in and cleared the building uh, and those people were off in triage. Um, and then I, I and then we had to go through and clear the journal record building as well. So. You know, I know that there was a lot of government agents or what I thought was least government agents could have been some other agencies, close by agencies, off duty officers wearing jackets, you know. But when you've got everything going on like that, you know, 
you start to get like a tunnel vision and you, 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 you see, uh, you see things and you think, oh, wait, well, man, there's a lot of people here all of a sudden. Uh, but there, I do remember seeing some ATF and I do remember because it was on the back of the jacket and the FBI on the back of the jacket. Okay. Um, and those people were there. Um, but anyway, uh, I know that, I know that none of them went in and cleared any buildings other than maybe the Murrah building. Um, but they didn't do it, do any of the others. Interesting. Interesting. Um, that I know of. I know we're probably about to go off on, you know, John Doe too and Terrence Yeeke, but I guess the last question I had for, you know, the first couple minutes, oh, did you happen to be with Officer Donald Browning by any chance? Mm -hmm. Good question. No, I was not with him. I know him. Uh, I'm second generation police officer, so he's known me ever since I was a little baby. Okay. So, Apparently, so. Officer Browning would later testify under oath that he witnessed federal agents taking surveillance cameras off of the Murrah building in the minutes after the explosion. Uh, I don't know if you ever talked to uh, Browning about that and if you have any thoughts or if you saw anything to that effect. No, but as a former computer forensics and cell phone forensics investigator and um, uh, video surveillance investigator, um, I can certainly see something like that happening because you would want to get those cameras off. It just depends on, on if those cameras, if they were recording on to their own, like if each camera had their own little drive in it or if it was a centralized system. Uh, back then, there wasn't, it was probably based off of a hard drive or maybe the, those cameras actually had their own recording devices on the inside. It's a good possibility because, you know, you got to remember the technology back then. There wasn't really an Internet per se. There was. I mean, I think AOL had just started with their America Online stuff. Um, but there, the Internet wasn't like it is today. I mean, there, there wasn't really a cloud <laughs> sure. uh, per se. Um, so but looking at that, I mean, it, it, if if it were me that had been called out there to go to go retrieve you know video yeah that's what i would have done too is immediately pull them cameras before something gets destroyed okay so yeah. that's a very very high possibility that 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 that, that happened that way yeah the uh, the the importance of that i, I mean i'm not I, i'm not sure how much you followed all this stuff but uh the for two reasons one uh the I don't know if their official story was that they were lost or what, but the, those surveillance tapes have been very hard to come across. I think we only really yeah. even knew they were confirmed until we got some FOIA stuff that came right. through. Also, there's the other aspect of one of the other uh, speculations, and I think it might be a little bit more in speculation. There were some researchers who looked into this. I want to say, Ken, you might be able to correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that might have been Wendy. Uh, Wendy Painting that actually looked into that one. I might be wrong. Maybe I'm talking out of my ass a little bit. Uh, that uh, that looked into it and figured, and for some reason had reason to believe that Yiki may have gotten a copy of the surveillance tapes because they would have been in the OCPD uh, uh, evidence locker for a while. I, I guess I, I kind of just want to get your thoughts. Is that would that be standard procedure for something like that? Because I would assume the FBI would take that right away, or maybe they would keep it at you guys' place for a while. I mean, that might be in the weeds for what you mm. know, but I'm just curious. Well. Not unless they were tapes from something else, from a different building. 
So you had, and I'm trying to remember the name of it. Is it the Regency Tower? I think that's the name of it. That sounds right to me. Used to be the name of it across the street. uh, Well, just down the street. I believe there were some cameras on that building um, that uh, I know that they turned over later on. I think, I don't think they got that the, the same. I don't think they got that the first day. I think that was like a day or two later. So it's very possible that maybe our department picked that up, put it in the evidence room until, you know, whoever ATF, FBI, whoever came and got it. Um, so it could be possible, but there would be a record of Terry going into the property room and uh, withdraw- or pulling that tape uh, to make copies of it or whatever. So and there, there's no way, there's no way around that process because you would assume if he was going to do it, it'd be a sneaky sneak, you know. <laughs> not, not into the property room. Okay. Yeah. Back down right. there. Yeah, I can't think of one because <laughs> yeah. the way that that thing's controlled and everything, uh, at least back then, there were you know several doors you had to go through, camera systems, you had to sign in a log. I mean, there was all kinds of stuff you had to do. And even it's probably even way, way, way more in depth now. Uh, oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, another reason why uh, the, uh, the those tapes mattered is because, uh, you know, I believe from the FOIAs, we found out there was over 20 of them. And I think two or three of them had uh, evidentiary uh, basis or something. Essentially, they showed the uh, like the the vehicle and the bombing itself like they they were useful for evidence purposes. Uh, And that would show John Doe, too, because I mean, that ties it back to your sighting of John Doe, too. So it's like, why do these surveillance tapes disappear that would have showed John Doe, too? A little convenient. Um, so bringing it back to John Doe too, I already know the answer to this, but I'm just more or less asking it. So the audience to elucidate the audience, essentially, um, were you ever contacted by anyone, uh, whether it be FBI, ATF, law enforcement, or or even journalists aside from CNN about your, about, about the, about your John Doe two sighting? Nope. No, no, not that just that CNN, uh, journalists, uh, just a couple months ago. (laughs) that's the first time anybody's ever ever even questioned about it so that's really interesting because there's you know when people ask about why you think there were others involved in the oklahoma city bombing i always cite uh fbi former official danny colson who says well you know at least i think 26 witnesses told the fbi they saw mcveigh with another person that morning but you were never even spoken to, so we can say at least 27 witnesses, correct? Mm-hmm. And yes. who knows who knows how many more weren't even questioned by the FBI? Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's the point I was driving at. Um, oh, God, I had, I had another point I want to bring up, but I totally just brain farted it. Uh, John Doe 2. Uh, crap. Oh, I know what I wanted to ask, and, and I guess we can kind of move on from John Doe 2 unless you have anything else, Ken. Uh, you, we talked yesterday and you had brought up how you have worked in, you have kind of worked in your law enforcement capabilities in conjunction with the FBI and ATF and stuff like that before. So you've kind of gotten a feel, obviously we're going to speculation territory, but I want right. to know what is your opinion on John Doe too? 
Like, what is your gut feeling with this, particularly coming from the perspective of a law enforcement officer who has worked with the federal agents in cases before? Right. So you kind of have a vibe of how they work. I know a lot of my audience does as well because we read these books about how they work. Books like The uh, Terror Factory by Trevor Aronson and going into how they use their informants and stuff like that. But I think it would be good to kind of get it from your perspective, you know, more on the ground view. Well, you know, <clears throat> 27 years of being a, a police officer and like I said, second generation police officer at that. So, I mean, I've grown up around it all my life. You know, you, as an officer, you develop a sixth sense. Um, it, it's something that just can't be explained as far as how you you, you just know, or you just have this feeling, but you develop that, you know, and some people have it naturally. Some people don't, you know, uh, but my Everything that I know about police work, about investigations, uh, stuff like that, is my gut feeling says John Doe number two is real. He was there. And for some reason or another, they're saying it wasn't. And in my personal opinion, I would say that the reason for that would be that this may have possibly been a sting operation that went bad. And at the very last second, McVeigh freaked out and decided to trigger it. Then John Doe number two scampers away, McVeigh scampers away, and that's what we have. That's what we had on that day. That's my personal opinion of it. I mean, why else would everybody, you know, saying, like you said, you know, there was a John Doe number two, but <laughs> It's kind of been shoved underneath the rug. Well, it's because somebody knew something about it. And in, in my opinion, that, that may have been what happened. Uh, I know that stuff happens because it's, uh, you know, covers get blown all the time. Um, things go bad during sting operations. I've worked with, uh, I, I haven't, I, I haven't done the, um, undercover side myself, but as a patrol officer and as an investigator, um, I have worked closely with the undercover units and, you know, I have seen those sting operations go bad. And, you know, when it's supposed to be a sting, you know, someone bringing in a bunch of weapons or bringing in a bunch of dope and then something goes bad and, you know, then the whole thing just falls apart. Um, and that's just, that's just kind of like my gut feeling. Um, so I'll leave it there. Yeah, and that's the same gut feeling Terry had. Uh, if we were to take uh, his letter to Ramona as fact, that is exactly what he expressed. Uh, it seems like, like you, he thought it was weird that there were federal, the feds were there so soon. And I don't know, maybe he saw something else, but just one thing led to another. And I feel like he probably started digging and started adding up the uh, things. And he may have came to a certain conclusion. Before we move on from uh, this, this rough uh, area, do you have anything to add, Ken, or, or any questions particularly to hone in? Or, or, uh, or No, let's get into the yeeky stuff if you'd like. All right, yeah, let's start with uh, way before. Kind of just, uh, I know you and Terry have a long history, so I'd kind of mm -hmm. like to hear about that. Kind of want to get to know the man a little bit and uh, kind of sure. your relationship with him. Okay, so I first met Terry whenever I was uh, in the o Oklahoma Army National Guard, 745th Military Police Unit, uh, Combat Military Police Unit. Um, we were in the same, we were in the same, same company together, uh, different platoons, but we were the same company together. 
we were in the same police academy together, uh, class 104 from the Oklahoma City Police Department, March 16th, 1990, this was our, our hiring date, or our reported reporting date. That's when we started the academy. Uh, we both got called up, I believe it was December 7th, 19, uh, 1990, uh, after we had finished the, uh, what's called the F FTO program. Uh, I, I know I was out seven days from the FTO program when we got called up to Desert Storm. Uh, we both go over to Desert Storm together. We operate a prisoner war camp while we're over there uh, for roughly six months. We come back. Uh, we ride district partners together. Uh, same shift, um, same set, district partners. Um, and then we hung out together a, a lot after work, playing basketball or, you know, going to have a drink here and there or whatever, you know, just kind of, you know, maybe or, or a lunch during the daytime or, or whatnot. Um, you know, we, he, I considered him like the brother that I never had. I mean, he was a big old teddy bear. I mean, he would do anything for you all you had to do is just ask and you know, sometimes you don't even have to ask and he would do it you know he would give you the shirt off his back if that was all he had left on him you know he would do that and and uh, it, i just you know i had lunch with him two days prior to his disappearance uh to his debt for for his debt on a, in the, i guess see i had a lunch with him on, on monday and i believe they found him on wednesday i believe it was I don't remember the exact day of the week yeah, it was. Anyway. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> it was May, I had, May 9th, yeah. I think. But go on. It was two days prior to that that I had lunch with him. He didn't show any kind of mental distress or depression or anything like that. He seemed to be real happy and chipper. Uh, you know, he was asking me how I was doing because I was uh, just had a kid. Uh, my wife and I were kind of going through a little bit of rough times. Um, and, uh, you know, he, he was basically there for me, you know, it seems like, and, but he never showed any kind of problems. He never said anything. Uh, I know him and Tanya were talking, um, and he had, he did tell me this, um, that he was thinking about taking over a VCR uh, and a, a Disney VHS tape for his daughter. And I was like, oh, yeah, that'd be great. You know, yeah, she would love that. Um, that's the last thing I heard, you know, um, until the day of his death. Um, I don't know if you want me to go into the other stuff yet, but yeah, but that's. Uh, Real quick, I just. I believe, if I remember the the story correctly, uh, as told by Tanya, I believe the day prior to receiving the VHS with the VCR, I believe she he had also borrowed her VCR. So a lot of people speculate maybe he made some sort of copy for her because I believe uh, maybe, maybe I mean, the day prior or so she expressed that she was really trying to drag information out of him because he had said some right. stuff that like – he see, once again, this is a common theme with Terry is he didn't want to seem to get anyone else involved in whatever he was going through, uh, particularly people who meant a lot to him, uh, which I can respect. Um, and that, th th so the point, a lot of people speculate there was something on that VCR. I, I mean, I don't know, maybe 
did any do you think he would be the kind of guy that would give you like a little white lie just because you know to keep to not tell you because i know we talked yesterday and you mentioned he had made some comment to you before about hey i don't want to bring in any of this like mm -hmm. uh, some sort of vagary along those lines which yeah seems to be a going theme of, with a lot of people interacting with you right. about this terry terry was that type of person it's not that terry was a quiet person i mean mm -hmm. he was actually kind of quiet he wasn't you know he he had his moments of being, you know, boisterous and, you know, just, you know, really out there. And then he had his moments of being quiet and stuff. But Terry was definitely that type of person who, if he felt like he told you something and that that by telling you that would put you in danger, he would not tell you. He would not do it. Uh, him and I very rarely ever talked about the bombing. Um, and when we did, it was just very brief. And he would just say, there's a lot of stuff you don't know that I can't tell you. So, you know, and that's it. And, you know, that's been the problem for me with a lot of this is because I held on to that for such a long time, uh, uh, the guilt that I, you know, was like, okay, did I miss something? Did, you know, what did I miss? You know, uh, was he calling for help? You know, did he call for help? You know, what did he say something to me that I should have picked up on? And, and it tore me up so much that I compartmentalized everything. Um, it wasn't until I went till after I retired that I went through counseling um, and some of those compartments opened up. And I'm sh I'm certain that I still have some of those compartments closed. Um, is it, it, even to this day, I still cry a lot whenever I think about him. I mean, I, it, that day tore me up. Uh, it, it was it, it was as if my brother had died. Mm -hmm. My own like real brother had died. Family, and you know, I did. I, I blamed myself for a long time for it, and. Uh, you know, it just, I, I still just ha have a hard time believing that Terry would have taken his life. Mm -hmm. I, he's just not that type of person. I mean, typically you can tell when someone's having those kind of problems, but you may not know exactly what it is, but you can typically tell when someone's having problems. And Terry just did not show that stuff. And, uh, everybody that knew him thought the same thing. It was like, nah, nah, surely not, not Terry. Mm. So does he, did he strike you as the kind of person that would do what is, I guess, essentially sort of being alluded to when people say he didn't kill himself? Cause obviously the narrative then becomes, well, then he was murdered. Why was he murdered? Did he know something? Would he be the kind of guy that would, you know, essentially not play ball to that extent, to the extent where it could put his life on the line. And I, I'm not even saying this to say he was some angel or anything. I just, from my interpretation of looking into Yiki, like it just seems like deep down inside, he was a man. Like he had that thing deep down inside of him. That's like, I'm nobody's bitch. And I, I really right. think to some extent that was, I guess the driving impetus of like, no, like it, you're not going to like, 
kowtow me like this and this is what's right. Uh, so the, right. Uh, now, now, correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, uh, I mean I'm kind of asking you to tell me if your best friend was a really swell dude, I guess, kind of. But I mean, I feel well, like yeah. this, is this is another level. Because it, it seems to be when you hear, especially from Tanya's account, he seemed to know the trouble that he was possibly putting him into. That he was even asking uh, Tanya to get remarried for life insurance benefits because he was concerned something could happen to him. Mm -hmm. So I, it seems he had some idea of the stakes at hand and was still willing to go through. So I just, is he that kind of guy that will be, that will do the right thing in that sense? Or, or, or maybe not even so the right thing of like not get pushed around to a fault. Uh, yeah, but both. I mean, really? Yeah. yeah. He's that type of person that, you know, sure. He had his faults, but when it came to right or wrong on something that this caliber absolutely terry is the type of person that that you know yeah he would have well he did he followed it through to the end and you know it it's unfortunate and I, it's sad it's tragic uh, you know it just i i don't know that i'll ever be able to fully put it behind me you know um, I, I'm still, I, I still go to counseling to this day, you know, uh, basically for PTSD stuff, but in that PTSD is still the lingering, you know, Terry's death and the bombing and stuff like that. And, you know, it, it take it, I mean, it takes us toll on people and, and I'm still, even now compartments and memories are, are coming back to me when I hear some of these other stories like i had never heard i didn't even know that tanya had done a radio show until just the other day i had never heard of it i never heard her talk or do any of that stuff until literally like what two days ago so you know everything that i'm saying is coming from my memory not from someone else uh but I did compartmentalize a lot of it. I mean, because that's what we as police officers do. That's what, you know, that's what IMSA does. That's what fire department does. Doctors, you know, we compartmentalize things mm -hmm. and we push them back so far in our head that you forget what even happened a lot of times until something later on in life sparks that memory. And then you're like, oh crap, why was that gone for so long? But anyway, I'm, I know I'm kind of going off on a tangent there. Sorry. Oh, <laughs> Ken, you have anything else to add? Uh, or otherwise, we're going to keep moving in the Yuki story. Uh, I kind of want to get more from his perspective. But if anything caught your ear at this point, or no? Uh, all right. Uh, let's continue with, I, I guess I just kind of want to hear the story of Yiki, you know, and his death from your perspective. Uh, I don't know if, if you feel like there's anything pertinent to add in that in-between time between the bombing and his death. Uh, it seems, I, I think you probably may have already mentioned anything that might be pertinent, but if you can think of anything else, but otherwise, I guess we could probably start with like how you discovered the, or the day, you know, I mean, I guess from your perspective, the timeline of what you found out, uh, what kind of information, whatever you can recall essentially, and okay. kind of work from there. And then maybe we can even get to a point to where later you have the realization or something, right. but we're going um, so, uh, whenever I was in, uh, financial crimes as a detective, it was probably sometime around 2005, mm -hmm. um, maybe 2006, somewhere in that time frame. 
Uh, I remember there being a Facebook post um, around, about Terry um, and the conspiracies and stuff like that. Um, and so I, I started, since I was in investigations, I could now actually look up some of those uh, supplemental reports and uh, see what all happened. Uh, so I started looking up those reports and in one of those reports, uh, it was the, the day before Terry's, um, disappearance, um, slash, uh, death. Um, and I will say this, uh, until the day I die, it said, Made and, and uh, I think he was a major. He was he may have only been a captain at the time. Steve Upchurch had called Terry. Said that they had received a call from Tanya, and in the report it said based on you know a VPO violation. Now, in saying that in retrospect, uh, looking at it now, the VPO happened a, a year prior to police department would have been notified of that VPO. It would have been put in his file. So whenever she called for whatever reason she called, um, they made that out to be, well, you know, for what, what, for whichever reason she called for it. And then the VPO. Um, and so he called Terry and told him to stay put that an officer was coming to his house to place him on administrative leave and to take his gun and badge. Well, now that is completely different than the way that they do it now. I'm not sure what their protocol was for back then, but I'm pretty sure it wasn't that. I'm pretty sure it would be, hey, come into the office. We need to talk to you, you know, uh, get him into a safe environment and then take, you know, take his gun and badge. Yeah, uh, real quick um, to add to that, uh, uh, in the CNN article themselves, they contacted uh, Upchurch. And he said, it's, I'll read straight from the article, but even if Vassar correctly remembers what was in the report, which has never been released, those details are contested. Major Upchurch told CNN in a phone interview he had no recollection of making such a call to Yiki. He said he didn't remember Yiki having any trouble with his ex-wife before his death. And he said he didn't remember anything about Yiki being in trouble with superiors. So, I mean, I'm not obviously I'm not calling you a liar. <laughs> but, well, no, but he didn't. Yeah. Okay, so like I said, I had never heard Tanya's... Mm -hmm. Uh, radio um, interview until two days ago. What did she say in her radio interview? Steve Upchurch is who she had talked to, or Steve Upchurch is one of the ones who had tried to contact Terry. Mm -hmm. So right there, I ain't lying. I mean, <laughs> she said it herself in an interview, what, back in, I don't know, 97, I think. Is 97, yeah. Yeah, I think. Okay. <laughs> you know, this was, you know, 2005, 2006 when I found this out, but I had never heard this interview before. And even on the Facebook stuff, none of that was ever posted anywhere like that. I never even knew she had done an interview at all. It wasn't just until I, I guess your show when, when you posted on there that that's the first time I ever heard. Mm. So uh, that, and that's when I was like, okay, now I know I'm not wrong. <laughs> I mean, I, I know, I, I know, I know what my memory is. And, and the reason I say that is because Steve Upchurch has known me since I was a kid too. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, I, like I said, I'm second generation. So, you know, my dad has a big legacy on the department. I have, I have a lot to lose by lying, <laughs> you yeah. know, 
uh, tarnishing the family name for that. No, I'm not going to do that. You know, uh, I know what I know. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, you, uh, we talked when we talked yesterday. You said that kind of piqued your interest. And you started looking more. I think you started looking into reports and stuff That's, like that. Yeah. So, what kind of I impression? Started, yeah, I started looking at all the reports, um, at least the reports that I could see. Now, there, there, there very well could have been some reports that were not entered, mm -hmm. um, that maybe they did not want to enter yet. I don't know. Of course, you know, you're talking ten years later on why they wouldn't have been entered. I don't know, uh, you know, unless they're trying to hide something. Um, but in those reports, um, there was a lot of vagueness. Um, there, there, there wasn't just a ton of description over what happened. Um, and there, there wasn't a, a lot of description in, in, in what happened. And in one of the, um, the reports I remember was from uh, Sergeant Larry Spruill. Um, and in his report, of course, he gets there the very next day, uh, the very, I think it was the very next morning because, the the, uh, or may, it may be in the evening, but anyway, he relieved one of the, uh, one of the other, uh, CSI units, but in, in his report, there just wasn't a whole lot in his report either. Uh, cause he didn't do, he, he didn't, he didn't really do a whole lot, but uh, you know, the body was already gone, things like that. Now, in John Feely's report, because I believe he was the first one that was out there as well, um, it, it just described the body as it. Let me let me rephrase that because I, I don't want to refer to Terry as the body. It described Terry as. Uh, it's, it just seemed very vague to me. It, 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 it was, and I'm trying to remember, I'm trying to, to, to remember exactly how it was said. Uh, but we'll just say that it was so traumatizing to me that I, uh, I, I like blocked a lot of it out. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's why I remember Larry's report more than I remember John's report. Um, it did go, it didn't go into great detail on everything that, so that was supposedly had happened to Terry, but there was enough there at that time for me to say, well, maybe he did. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, you know, there was a lot of things to, that was not known to me at that time either. Like, for instance, I did not know that there wasn't an autopsy done because none of those reports said anything about an autopsy. You know, I know that it said it went to the, uh, they, in the report, the ME's office. Usually when it goes to the ME's office, there's an autopsy that happens. Okay. Now, whether that's semantics as far as, you know, whether it went to an ME's office or went to a funeral home, I don't know. Yeah. But... Um, sorry, I got some background stuff going on. <laughs> it happens. <laughs> um, and then a lot of the other reports were just supplemental reports, basically very vague. You know, I showed up, I secured the crime scene. You know, we helped with, you know, 
take the car away, you know, such and such record took the car away, blah, 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 blah. Um, but there wasn't really a lot of detail in the reports as far as how far Terry was from his car, um, you know, mm. the exact location of where he was. Uh, it just, the I don't gun. know, something seemed a bit, <laughs> yeah, it, I, I couldn't find anywhere in the reports that there was a gun, mm-hmm. that there was ever a gun even found. Um, so that that kind of shocked me as well. I'm like, okay, well, maybe it's in another report somewhere that I'm not seeing. Yeah. So uh, it was just, it was really weird. So anyway, uh, that then prompted me to start looking for my reports from the bombing, which come to find out are non-existent. They're nowhere to be seen, nowhere to be found. And when I started asking my supervisor about it, because, um, well, I originally had gone down to the records unit and they said, well, there's probably boxes down there. was still got, you know, reports in it haven't been entered like 10 years later. (laughs) Come on. Uh, And so then I started telling my supervisor about it. And uh, it was, I believe, later that day that I was told to stop looking and to do my job, my regular job, or I would be, I took it as it didn't, wasn't said this way, but I took it as stop looking or you're going to be written up, stop looking or, and that's, you know, it was implied. We'll just say it that way. It wasn't said, but it was implied. Um, and so I had to stop because I, I probably could have gotten in trouble for, digging into those um even though yeah i mean they are open for all the investigators to see uh but yeah so uh, well i guess uh, let's i kind of want to cut straight to it I, I know you when we talked yesterday you you mentioned you kind of knew a lot of the people a lot of the names involved in this whole shenanigans I just, I guess I want to cut straight to it and just get, obviously, once again, we're going to speculation territory, but what does your gut tell you that happened here? I guess to start off, the, bluntly, I'd, I'd like to answer, do you think Terrence Yeeke killed himself? No. And, and then what is your gut? Obviously, you're, you're not going to be able to give, there's no way in hell you'll be able to give a perfect guess of what happened. No. But like, what is your feeling, your speculation, your opinion? What, what do you think is at play here? Because uh, it seemed to be you, you thought there were some trustworthy people that were there initially, and then it seemed to maybe change later. Maybe I don't want to put words in your mouth. <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, you know, there's there's there there's definitely some trustworthy people that were there at the scene that I would say, without a doubt, in my mind, uh, would cover something up. That's not to say that they weren't told. You know, hey just do a report on this, just do a report on this. You know what I'm saying? Um, but that, that, that doesn't imply covering up, at least not on their part. Okay. Maybe someone else, whoever told them. Um, but yeah. And, and then there's a couple other people who I had uh, the opportunity, I guess, to work with in investigations um, who I would I would question their credibility. We'll just say that. Um, yeah, 
that, that's probably a more safer word to say. <laughs> yeah, I understand. These are people you know I'm asking you to talk about. So <laughs> Yeah. It, it is a little dodgy, but I it just trying to get to the root of, of what's going on here. Uh, but so do you, do you, is that just kind of roughly you think there was some sort of cover up? You don't really have any strong opinions because even me, I mean, like, uh, you know, when I look in this, I really, all I can really say is he didn't kill himself. I can give you some vague. Uh, I mean, I think there was a cover up. Right. I think likely it was probably some sort of uh, three letter agency, <laughs> but it, once you get down to specifics, it does get rough, but uh, yeah. Um, that's my that's my gut feeling i mean you know for the longest time i don't even know how to explain this but but for the longest time i felt something just doesn't seem right but then also at the same time i had that little voice inside my head saying don't look into it any further because you may be next <laughs> and you know even though i wanted to but it was like you know, maybe the day and time will come when that'll be an opportunity for me to do so. And when talking with the CNN reporter and then hearing your stories uh, and stuff really brings together, brings it all into light. And when, when, when you look at everything now, everything that's been said, recorded interviews, you know, evidence missing or things not happening like they're supposed to like no autopsy why would you not do an autopsy do an autopsy on a police officer that you know you say just you know killed himself uh why would there not be an autopsy there um it just with everything that i've seen just literally in the past couple of months my gut feeling has now went to more of a gut feeling i mean now it's more like I have a reasonable suspicion, you know, that something has happened. Uh, it, it is more than just a gut feeling now. You know, it, it's it's it, it's almost more like probable cause, <laughs> you know. And if you know the difference between gut feeling, reasonable suspicion and probable cause, then you know where I'm coming from. You know, it's there's just too many um there's just too there's just too many things there to say that something did something didn't happen there's too many things to say that their narrative is what happened there's too many things out there to say their narrative is what what happened that their narrative is not what happened something else happened mm -hmm. and we don't know what that is and my guess is that Terry tried to give someone some information and they wanted him to play ball and he didn't. And when he didn't want to play ball, then they eliminated him. And that's, that's the way I see it. And you had mentioned that you felt pressured by your bosses to keep silence about this matter you know, you might even have ended up to be the next Terrence Yeeke. Uh, I'm wondering um, what compelled you to speak out about it some 28 years later and talk about how the CNN piece came together and, you know, all that good stuff. Uh, 
You know, probably a lot of it has to do with some of the uh, counseling that I've gone through, you know, uh, to try not to hold back all that pain and, and you know, uh, try to get to the bottom of it. Because, I mean, it's, it's, it's tore me up for, for a very, very long time. And, you know, and it's also the right thing to do. You know, I mean, there's there's something there, uh, obviously, or CNN would have been doing a, a story on it. You guys wouldn't be doing stories on it. There's something there. And it's, you know, I'm not saying it wasn't the right time to do it then because it it it, it should have been the right time to do it then. Um, but, you know, I've got a lot of lot, a lot of family in law enforcement with that was either either works for the Oklahoma city police department or works for other departments, uh, around us. And when I mean a lot of family, I mean, our, our my family's like the blue bloods. I mean, we've got people all over the place. Um, so there's a, a lot at stake there as well, you know, plus, you know, like I said, you know, my dad's legacy as well. Um, it's just now, I think I've come to that point in healing where it's like, you know what? Bring it. So what if I'm next? Bring it. Yeah. Uh, people, people need to know. Yeah. I think uh, for that, uh, I mean, and this isn't any criticism, Yiki. And actually I think this kind of comes out. I don't know your personal opinion, but we had those Pentagon leaks recently. And a lot of people were like, Oh, he went through the wrong channels. Like if we're to assume all this is on the up and up and those, that was legitimate information. It's kind of like uh, a fun fact I bring up frequently in this story is uh, there was an FBI agent who tried to bring uh, a copy of the surveillance tapes to Dateline NBC, and he got ratted out by an informant within Dateline NBC. So the point being is, like, I actually yeah. think the smart thing to do with stuff like this, which kind of goes against your comp common people's intuition, as opposed to going the secretive route that kind of Terrence did. And, you know, I, I, once again, I think he did what he thought was right. I think in today's day and age, maybe it's different then and it is now, uh, but I think you're actually better being as public as you possibly can and releasing every bit of information yeah. you have as soon as you have it. Because if you start trusting any of these approved channels, that's when you start having issues. With Yiki, according to in the CNN article, Ramona McDonald said that he was supposed to go meet with a uh, a couple you know suit types uh, right after she left him, and that was right around when he died. Uh, and he, that was he said he didn't bring his gun because he was a little bit concerned. But he was like, I guess the idea was like, well, I don't know. We got to get someone to see this stuff, and they might want to help. It doesn't seem to be that was what they wanted to do. Uh, <laughs> so. Um, yeah, I mean, once again, that's just one eyewitness uh, or one uh, one person. I, do, I don't really know, you know, the specifics of Ramona, but I mean, once you add all these things together, it paints a paints a devastating picture against, you know, a bunch of three-letter agencies and the upper brass at the OCPD, for sure, at least yeah. at that period of time. Um, I, yeah, I guess and go ahead. I was just saying, you know, and there's, I, I heard something and maybe it was in the Tanya interview or maybe it was in one of your other ones or maybe it was something else. I can't remember, to be honest with you, but there was a rumor or maybe a, a theory rumor. I don't know what you want to call it, that there were a lot of documents being stored inside the Murrah, Murrah building yeah. relating to a certain presidential 
family. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> um, which would make sense if Terry had seen something like that as well. You know, it's possible. we all know what has happened to people related to that presidential family. Yeah, I'll I'll be straight. So, me and me and yeah. Ken and uh, think that angle the is maybe a little bit of a red herring for people. I, uh, I, but, yeah, <laughs> but uh, well, yeah, that's that, that the one know. people do get sucked into a lot. But I don't know. I I've never really done too deep a dive. That'd be something we'd probably maybe Richard or Bill speak on more because I know he gets frustrated by that claim coming below. I don't think I want to go that deep right now. <laughs> <laughs> but I just I had to throw it out there before someone's like Jose buys all the uh, white papers. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I mean I don't know. Maybe it's legit. I kind of doubt it though. <laughs> but, yeah, probably not. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, there's definitely a lot to the story. Uh, back to the brass, Lieutenant Joe Ann Randall. But mm -hmm. according to uh tanya and i believe there might have been others who insinuated as well uh her her and terry really did not get along that was his immediate supervisor apparently they had a lot of issues particularly uh in regards to terry's uh, supposed nine page report that he was he made uh for you know following it that i guess there was a back and forth battle between brass saying they wanted him to reduce the size take out certain things and uh, I mean, I guess it's kind of two part thing. I just, what is your impression of like, you know, I guess kind of three part of Joanne Randall herself, you know, Terry and her, her relationship. And uh, were you aware of any of this stuff with Terry's report uh, being an issue? I was not aware of Terry's report being an issue until just recently. Um, as far as Joanne Randall, um, I, I didn't actually work with her. Very. I mean, I knew I know who she is, um, and um, I worked around her, but not really with her. So I can't really, you know, say much about their relationship. That would just be speculation at that point. But I can I can say from personal experience, I myself have been told to leave certain things out of reports, and. I have refused to do that on several occasions and was threatened with being insubordinate. So um, I can say 100% sure that that does happen. And that is a good possibility. So it's pretty commonplace. Is, what is the, what is the proper way that's supposed to go down? Is it supposed to be up to you as the, as the, the police officer to, to what you do or don't put in that report? Is, yes. So there's not supposed to be some sort of oversight that ends up happening anyways? No. I mean, you know, when you do a police report, everything is supposed to be in chronological event anyway and supposed to be written in basically fifth grade, you know, so that you're, if a fifth grader were to pick up that report, they could understand what was happening. It's not supposed to be too technical. None of that stuff. So it's, it, you know, it's not like, you know, we're going through and we're writing, you know, a doctorate dissertation or something, you know, you know with all these, you know, high, you know, $10 words and stuff, you know, uh, but it, it's, it's written in chronological order and, and, you know, everything that, you know, just like the old, you know, just the facts, ma'am, you know, is you put everything in there. You don't leave anything out of, of a report. You just don't. Um, 
you know, the only thing you leave out of report is something that has absolutely zero to do with the, with, with the case to begin with, you know, like maybe a civilian came up and started asking you questions or something, you know, for whatever reason. Well, you don't need to put that in there if it doesn't pertain to the report, but, you know, the reason you would want, the reason they would want to leave something out is obviously to cover something up, to keep someone from getting in trouble or what whatnot. Mm-hmm. I know it has happened. It's happened to me, um, you know, and I just about got in trouble for it. All right. Uh, all right. I have one more question for me, and then I have one more from an audience member. Uh, anyone in the audience, if you do have any questions, feel free to ask. Uh, I, one, the last thing I wanted to ask particularly is one other thing that Terrence was complaining about a lot was the aspect of that there were cops being awarded that he's claimed were not there on the day of the bombing and vice versa. There were cops that were uh, having issues with actually being recognized for being there. He was actually, apparently Terrence was actually had to fight for at least one of them to get recognized. Um, and I guess for me, if I put on my tinfoil hat, the way I would interpret that is seems to be like maybe the brass is trying to put their own heroes in place. That way they can kind of have more control of the narrative and like they get to bring out their old good old boys. Uh, but I, I don't know if that's something that you noticed, if there was any weirdness there or if you just never gotten to the mix of that. Cause I know it was a big part of Terry's that he didn't even want to be recognized partially cause that's not really his style. And right. partially also because it's like, if you're going to have all these other people, that didn't have anything to do with it. If anything, it's like an insult to me to bring me up there with them is kind of how he right. saw it. Right. Yeah. Um, Terry did not want to be recognized as a hero. Mm-hmm. And, and I do know that because Terry and I had that conversation was that he knew that he was supposed to be recognized and be given a medal. Um, and he, he did tell me, I don't want that. I'm not a hero. I just did my job. Um, and for that same reason, like I didn't, I, I didn't want to be seen as a hero. I didn't need a medal or anything. But here's the weird thing about that: the officer that I told you that was there at the convenience store with me, when we get there at 53 seconds afterwards, and we're both there in front of the YMCA, we both do the exact same thing. His reports were in the system. He gets an award. My reports are not in this system. I don't get I don't get an award. So it's like it's like I was never even there. The, the proof that I was there is the fact that I'm on video in the Murrah uh, Memorial and that I'm on audio in the, in the Murrah uh, audio. Plus, I've got pictures of being there. So um, it just it surprises me it's weird and yes i do think that that could possibly be part of it is that's part of their narrative uh you know uh my friend did end up uh becoming a supervisor um it was probably a good i don't know five years after that but uh, he did become a supervisor uh and yes there were other officers who I questioned what they had done inside there that uh, got awards, um, uh, medals, uh, and even um, interviews with, you know, like news media, uh, news, you know, stuff like that. Uh, Good Morning America, things like that. Uh, And I really questioned what they had done. But then again, 
you know, I may have only seen them for just brief moments. So I can't really say what they did and what they didn't. But knowing them, mm, I question it. So anyway, yeah. I don't know if that answers your question or not. Yeah, no, that does obviously. I mean, if you if you had, had specifics, that'd be great, but I didn't expect you to. So I just wanted your yeah. rough uh, idea. Uh, I I will go ahead and uh, do this question, and I guess whatever Ken has, and if I get any other questions, then after that from any of the audience, um, this is my buddy Tim Tuttle, which that's a subtle uh, subtle uh, Tim Timothy McVeigh reference from who knows that that deep lore. Um, I know, or what did he say? He said, uh, do, 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 he said, he wants to know, he said, I'm interested in how close the blast was, uh, how close the store was he was in during the blast. How far away was it to the murder building? I think he's trying to get an idea of kind of the explosive power, uh, you know, eight blocks. You, so, okay. So eight blocks away, it still knocked you back three feet, uh, from yes. standing. Uh, okay. Yes. Uh, do, 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 do. and then, uh, what is one thought or image from, uh, from uh, 419, the Oklahoma City bombing that you think about every day? That's uh, I just got that question just now. Um, I don't think about it every day. Uh, I think if I did, I would probably go insane, slurring yeah. seriously. Um, I do think about it occasionally, especially when it comes to, you know, the anniversary dates. Uh Whenever I was doing the um, uh, the photo shoot for CNN uh, there at the uh, memorial site, uh, it was um, – I didn't want to be there. I'll put it that way. Um, I, I did, but I didn't. I, I don't know how to explain that. I wanted to be there to show my support, you know, uh, but I didn't want to be there because it brought up way too many emotions. Um, it it was very difficult for me to even talk with, with, with the photographer at times. Um, Cause it, it was like, I felt like I couldn't even try to be happy. I don't know if that even makes sense or not. You know, it's like, I was trying to be in a good spirit and up, up, you know, good mood, but it was very diff difficult. It was very somber. It was very just, it was just, it, to me, it was, uh, it almost borderline a nightmare, <laughs> you know, uh, I've gone to the memorial, I've gone through there, I've taken my family in there. Um, and every, you know, the, the two times that I did go in, um, it just, um, yeah, it just tore me up. Mm. But, so I, I try not to think about it. I mean, it's, yeah. uh, Sometimes when you, when you when you do stuff like that every day, when you think about stuff like that every day, I mean, you got to let it go or it'll get to you. Uh, it'll cause you family issues. It'll cause you personal issues. Um, you've you've got to let it go, and that's what I've been trying to do for gosh since 2017, and I'm finally getting on that track now, <laughs> where I can think about it and not start just really tearing up. You know, yeah. uh, takes a long time to heal from that stuff. Yeah. Uh, Ken, do you have any final questions, thoughts, anything else? Uh, I, I'm, I'm sure I'll probably later be like, oh, I wish I, I'd asked that. But uh, 
I guess last chance so you can get any of that out of your system as well. Uh, no, that's all I got for now. I mean, I could pick your brain for the next two hours. <laughs> I think, yeah. And I could probably try to answer you. <laughs> yeah, well, I think we hit the key points and just, yeah, thank you again for, you know, being, uh, you know, willing to share this story and being brave because people in very high positions of power were involved in that case and the cover-up continues uh, we're approaching the 30th anniversary in a couple of years. I think there's a renewed interest in this case. So I hope we'll be hearing from you frequently in the, in the next couple yeah. of weeks. Anytime. Yeah. yeah uh, I love it. Uh, I got a, got one from Bonghorn Langhorn, one of my patrons, one amazing guest. Thank you all so much for doing this. Uh, he also said the memorial, he also went to the memorial. The memorial was deeply emotional. My visit, you answered my question. Thank you for your story and your time. Uh, thank you, Bonghorn Langhorn. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I cut you off there. What'd you say? Oh, that's. I just said thank you for listening. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't yeah. mean to interrupt. <laughs> oh no, you're good. I interrupted you. But uh, uh, no, uh, I really do appreciate your time. I don't know if you have any thought, final thoughts. I mean, on the off chance you have something to promote, I know you're into music these days, right? So. <laughs> Me. You want to mention that? Yeah. Didn't you? Aren't you in music? I, I thought I saw. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There. I'm a I'm a lead singer for an upcoming. Uh, original band we got like seven songs we're trying to get recorded right now nice nice uh, well uh i don't know if you have any final thoughts otherwise we'll get out of here i appreciate your time um, appreciate it thank you guys y'all have a great day all right you as well uh i mean yeah uh ken i don't know if you want to drop any plugs if not we just go ahead and get out of here uh yeah everyone follow ken at, at jd underscore cashless and you can follow me at targeting jose uh, with that, stick around, guys. Don't leave. We'll talk a little bit after this, but ending the broadcast now. Thank you for everyone who watches this. Please share it around. Uh, this is, I think this is really important, and uh, we're out. All right. Thank you.